0: Now here are your hosts, Kyle and Lolita. Hi
1: everyone, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast. I'm your co-host Lolita, also joined by Kyle. Before we get started, please make sure to head over to our website, aptcapitalgroup.com and grab our free Passive Investor's Guide. Also if you're interested in learning more about what we do, you can schedule a call with Kyle on our website as well. All right, now let's get into our show.
2: Join us at the Asset Management Virtual Summit on September 24th through October 4th. It's a 14-day content-packed event for multifamily operators and asset managers with over 1,000 attendees and over 30 amazing speakers. You will hear from experts about investor relations, maximizing revenue, building systems, KPIs, and so much more. Go to amsummit2020.com to grab your free ticket. Discover the best asset management strategies all in one place. We'll see you at the Asset Management Virtual Summit.
1: Today, we have Travis Watts here with us. Welcome, Travis. How's it going?
3: Hey, it's going great. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it.
1: Awesome. Well, thanks for being here. Before we get started, here's a little bit about Travis. Travis is a full-time passive investor. He has been investing in real estate since 2009 in multifamily, single-family, and vacation rentals. Travis is also the Director of Investor Relations at Ashcroft Capital and has invested in over 27 passive syndications between 14 different firms. Travis now dedicates his time to educating others in the world of investing and has made it his mission to share passive investment strategies in order to help others achieve and maintain wealth in real estate. Great stuff, Travis, and I think you're at where a lot of listeners inspire to be. So let's dive right in, and can you please tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself and what you currently do?
3: Sure, absolutely. So I got started in 2009, as you alluded to, in single family, very much the active side of real estate. So I did everything from house hacking to fix and flips, vacation rentals, everything that was hands-on and in my control, and ended up kind of building myself a job I really didn't want. And so, around 2015 to 2016, I was seeking a way to be more passive and more hands-off. I really love real estate, everything real estate holds and offers. However, I, quite frankly, wasn't very good at the business side of real estate and I really didn't enjoy that part. So, that's where I found syndications and a lot of different forms of passive investing and fell in love with that model, went all in. And that brings us here through today, full-time passive investor.
2: Fantastic. Well, Lolita mentioned that you have invested in over 27 syndications through 14 different sponsors. So I'm sure each of them communicate a little bit differently. If you had to choose one thing that stood out the most when it comes to investor relations from that sponsor, what would that one thing be?
3: Yeah, I prefer personally monthly distributions and monthly reporting. I think that's a good frequency to stay in contact with investors. I think the norm is probably quarterly. But, you know, everybody's different. It kind of depends on you, your situation. But for me, it's kind of unique in that my passive income is my full-time income. So, you know, obviously, I prefer a little more frequency to that, a little more updating. Whereas, Some people parking IRA funds may not care for the next 20 years, you know, and like they can just let that ride. So I'd say that's number one is just being proactive and, you know, staying on top of things with your investors, updating them, not overkill, like biweekly, but at least monthly.
2: Is there something that you like to see in those communications that may be different from, you know, from one sponsor to the next? Maybe you can identify, hey, I really like this from this one sponsor.
3: That's a good point. I love video and I love photos, right? I mean, it's one thing to give a bunch of data and a bunch of Excel sheets, but honestly, I don't look through a whole lot of that stuff. You know, get caught up in analysis paralysis, causes too many questions. It takes a lot of time. So, you know, just a simple video. Here's the pool renovation that we did last month and here's a little clip from our resident, you know, get together or something like that, you know, just so you can get a better feel for the property. Because a lot of times, when you're an LP, like I am, your projects aren't in your home state. So I have a lot of stuff out in Florida and Texas and Arizona and Ohio, and I'm out in Colorado, for example. So it can make it difficult,
2: you know, not being able to travel to these properties very easily. Do you ever go out and travel to the properties at all? Or are these sight unseen from an LP standpoint?
3: I try to always go to the property if possible before it closes or before I fully commit to it. But that also depends, again, on how much video and photo has been presented out of the slide deck and the overview. If I feel very confident and comfortable, I can jump on Google Maps and kind of search the neighborhood. And if I get a really good feel for that, maybe not. But my wife works for an airline, so I fly pretty cheap. So (laughs) it's not too much for me to hop on a plane and get out there and look at it. I try to do that.
2: So how do you go about vetting your sponsors? You have 14 different sponsors that you've worked with, so that should take a lot of time to do. So what's your process there?
3: Yeah, good question. That's been an evolving process from day one. The mistake that I made in the beginning was vetting out the deals too heavily, looking at a pro forma, taking that for face value. You know, this one's 10%, this one's 8%, might as well do the 10, right? But (laughs) forgetting about the team behind the scenes. So I've flip-flopped that to vetting out the sponsor as number one, the market is number two, the deal is number three. And so really, I guess what it starts with is knowing your criteria. That will help the most, in my opinion. So knowing do you like new development? Do you like value add? Do you like B class, C class? You know, how many units, you know, what states, all this kind of stuff. Once you define your exact criteria or close to it, then as emails get pushed your way, it's easy to sort them out and say, no, I don't invest in that state. I don't do those types of deals. You know, I'm not into (laughs) agriculture stuff and overseas. And, you know, so that's kind of the thing that I had trouble with for quite a long time until I really sat down on paper laid out that criteria with my wife. And then we just kind of know what we look for. So aside from that, I'm always making sure that I get along with the sponsor. So I'm trying to do a face-to-face, literally a face-to-face if possible. If not, then a Zoom call like this, trying to feel out the sponsor and, you know, kind of what they're all about. I want to, it's a relationship business. When you invest, as you know, you're in these deals for five years, 10 years, who knows? I mean, if you don't get along with someone, that's a long time, you know, it's like being committed into a marriage or something (laughs) long term that you're not happy with. So I think that's critically important. It's amazing to me. So many investors will have like one phone call with a sponsor and then wire funds and it's, I don't know hope for the best, I guess.
2: Yeah. What is it, or what can you tell our audience about that mindset shift versus looking at two performers, seeing a 10% and 8% and saying, okay, well, obviously this 10% is much better, kind of like what you said, right? So there's gotta be some type of mindset shift there because it probably is pretty difficult to look at the returns and say, okay, well, it looks like if this one is successful, I will make more money at it. I mean, where does that happen?
3: Yeah, in general, I mean, the basic concept you know, more risk, more return in general. Sometimes you get those little off-market deals, you know, that might just be, you know, high returns just because of a broker relationship or something that happened that's kind of a fluke. But in general, there's usually something to that. If a deal is going to come right out of the gate at a 10% cash flow, there's a reason for that. So you got to dig a little bit deeper. And, you know, what I look for, Personally, I'm into value add and a lot in the B class sector personally and I like five-year holds and I also like Medium to light renovations. I worked with a group years ago and they had a pretty nice-looking pro forma (laughs) and the fact was it had very low occupancy the project needed basically everything They had to gut the units all the way down to the studs and just start over. It was almost like a new development And, you know, at the end of the day, the sponsor team couldn't pull it off. It was too much for them. They hadn't done it before. It was more hopes and dreams versus reality. And, you know, that taught me a lot, you know, in those lessons and why it's so important to vet a team and look at track record and look at have they done this before. And if they haven't, who's on the team or they have a mentor or a coach, someone looking over their shoulder, like, are they working with contractors with 30 years experience? There's got to be something there to make it realistic. To where they could actually pull off the business plan so in general I just like you know unit renovations of changing out appliances countertops flooring paint it's pretty simple basic stuff outside landscaping rebranding a property those are things that most groups can probably do with the right team involved so yeah it's just being realistic I guess with the business plan and understanding how those numbers are derived are they being super aggressive or More conservative. Mm
2: -hmm. Why'd you choose to go the route of, you know, many sponsors, 14 different sponsors versus just like a handful or maybe even two or three that you really trust?
3: Yeah, that's kind of funny because I'm a bit hyper diversified at this point. And I'm probably going to start reeling that back in right now. At first, I'm always been a huge advocate of diversifying. And what I really struggled with when I invested in single family homes was all of my properties, were in Colorado. I had 100% of my net worth in single family homes within like a 30 mile radius, you know, and that really started to bother me on top of the fact that I had so much equity in each property. And I thought, man, what if something crazy happens, you know, either politically, tax wise, a tornado rolls through the front range and just wipes out all my houses. I don't know. There's, it's just, it started really bugging me at night. And so I wanted to hyper diversify. I wanted to be in multiple states with multiple different groups and multiple different assets and things like that. But at this point, yeah, I think to your point, it it may be a bit much. So I think I'll be kind of rolling that back to maybe my top five or six groups
2: to work with max. What's been kind of the biggest challenge you're managing 14 different sponsors with so many different markets and all that?
3: Yeah, it is a lot. So, it's the irony of being a full-time passive, right, is that you're doing a lot of active reading and research and keeping up with reports and jumping on webinars and conference calls and, you know, all these deals being sent your way. So, there definitely is an active component. Now, that is fully optional. I could choose to just tune all that stuff out and just say, let it roll. You know, I invested my money. I don't want to hear about it. (laughs) But, you know, it is my income. So, I do have a vested
2: interest in that. So, sorry, I got sidetracked. track. What was your question? <laughs> yeah, I just, I can imagine it's quite a lot of work to manage yeah. different sponsors, you know, all the communications or 27 different properties. Is yeah. there something that you do to help streamline it or make it more efficient?
3: I just, you know, I'm pretty simple. I use an Excel sheet and I've got every single property on there, what it's called, which group, how much I invested, what the preferred return is or the expected, you know, timeframe, stuff like that. And I just track that monthly. And I'm just always trying to make sure it's pretty much in line with projections. If it falls below, you're usually aware of that through an update. But if you're not, that prompts a phone call or an email usually. You know, I'm very cash flow focused for reasons of it's my income. So as far as a pro forma goes that says, hey, in five, six years, we're going to sell this for X amount who knows, you know, what's the market going to be in five years? What's the S&P going to be in five years? Nobody really knows. So that's one thing you've got to get used to is these are just projections. These are just estimates and best guesses. So I don't put a lot of emphasis on the back end of deals. I'm really just tracking cash flow. And then when sales occur, it's usually a pleasant surprise that I didn't
2: really plan for. Awesome. So what's the difference, the major difference between your worst performing deal and your best performing deal right now? Right now, (laughs) let me think about that. The worst
3: performing deal really had a lot to do with the sponsor team not being able to execute on the business plan so far. There's always going to be curveballs too. That's to be expected. So this is kind of a combination of a curveball and not knowing how to address it and then probably going about it the wrong way. My best performing deal was just bought in the right market at the right time at the right price. I mean, from there, you're pretty good as is. And then it was a light renovation. So it's, it's hard to screw that up. So yeah, I, just kind of a, a combination really. It has a lot to do with the team, but then it also has to do with the market conditions and you know, if any curveballs or floods or fires or unknowns have come up, right? That always is gonna throw a wrench in things.
2: Yep. Other than the wrong sponsor on that one deal, what's the biggest challenge you face with your passive investments to date? Sometimes... So when you're an LP,
3: you're relinquishing control, right? You're basically giving somebody your money and saying, please manage this on my behalf and make the best decisions <laughs> on my behalf. And I trust you to do so. When you see that kind of going awry, when you see decisions that are made, that's like, oh man, I wouldn't have done that. Or I wish they wouldn't have done that. And then you start kind of getting antsy and anxious It can be hard. It can be hard to watch. It can be hard to tune into. So, and that's all personal. Some people have absolutely no issue with just turning it over and, hey, you're the expert. I'm not. Go for it. And, you know, sometimes you, you know, when you know a little more, you've had a little background in real estate and you think, hmm, I've kind of been there and done that. That's probably the wrong decision.
2: That can be tough for sure. Yeah, I can definitely see that. So, out of your 27 syndication investments, are those all in multifamily? Most
3: of those are multifamily, so I've got eighty percent allocated to value add multifamily. I've got twenty percent allocated to like what I call experimental ATM machines, self storage, first lien notes, distressed debt, uh, publicly traded REITs. There's all these different models out there that do monthly cash flow, but most are are
2: multifamily. Is there a reason you've chosen to stick with multifamily mainly versus diversifying maybe into like mobile home parks, self storage, things like that?
3: Yeah, I've done a little self-storage. Definitely want to get more into mobile home parks. Still kind of finding sponsors in that realm. I've put so much emphasis and in networking into multifamily. It just takes time, you know, and so I fully will be there. I don't know when, you know, the next two, three, four years, I'm definitely going to be diversifying more in that regard. I feel a little heavy in multifamily at this point. It just, you know, timing. That's it. Okay. That's all I can cool. really say.
2: What are your thoughts on multifamily going over the next three to five years? Is that still an asset class that you're very bullish on?
3: It is, yeah. Obviously, we're in trying times. Uh, a lot of sectors are being hit exceptionally hard, office, retail, vacation, rentals, stuff like that. At the end of the day, what I looked at several years ago was I dedicated to being in real estate for the long term, okay? I gave up the whole fix and flip game and all the short-term stuff and I said, you know if I'm going to be serious, if I'm going to be long-term, if I really do want to do this for 30, 40, 50 years, let's say, I need to be in an asset class that's going to perform in a good economy and in a bad economy. And the best thing that I could come up with was affordable housing in the U.S., B and C class, value-add, multifamily. So historically speaking, you know, does pretty well in a recession. It's not recession-proof But it's certainly in self-storage as well and ATM machines and all these kinds of things. So that's kind of been my focus is recession-resistant asset classes.
2: Got it. Other than the sponsor, what are the top three things you look at when evaluating a multifamily syndication opportunity? Mm-hmm.
3: So, I do a lot of macro level research. I'm no expert. I can't keep up with all this stuff nor do I want to spend my weeks, you know, searching all these submarkets and demographics and where companies are relocating. But from a high level, you look at like, just for example, let's use Texas and Florida, for example, because I have properties there. So, I look at the trends of migration. I look at people who are leaving states to go to Texas, companies relocating to Texas, uh, Florida, a lot of New York and high tax states, people migrating down to Florida. so I'm looking at those types of trends, and I'm looking at no state income tax and I'm looking at you know landlord tenant laws, and just again from a high level and saying, you know that makes a lot of sense to me, and I believe in that too and so I like those states now. Real estate's local, as you know, so it doesn't mean anywhere in Texas I'll do a deal, anywhere in Florida, you know, like I don't do any deals in Miami, for example. So from there, I let the sponsor group fill me in on the specific sub market in that little five mile and three mile radius and what incomes are and what jobs are there and what kind of diversification and employment there is because I can't keep up on all that stuff. So that's kind of my metrics that I look at from a high level.
2: Okay, great. And since you've invested in so many different deals, what would be one golden nugget you would give to someone that's trying to invest in their first passive investment or looking into investing in their first passive investment?
3: I would say be patient. Again, one of the mistakes I made is I learned about syndications And then I just wanted to pull the trigger the next day, you know, and by the way, like simultaneously, I was a little skeptical too. So it wasn't like I was just throwing everything into the unknown. But what happened was I just found a local group and I felt like local would be important for some reason. And so I think it was the face-to-face thing. So anyway, met up with them, just did their minimum investment, just got started. And turns out after I kept learning and educating and networking that they were no kind of player in the space. <laughs> you know, they were like a brand new group, basically doing their first deal and, and kind of gambling with my money. So I wish I would have been a little more patient and given it about six months of research and talked to a lot more people and just said, "Hey, you know who are some of the great groups out there that you've worked with and found you know what's in alignment with all these different types of people?"
2: Good advice. All right, Lalita is going to take us into our final four questions. Are you ready? Cool, let's do it.
1: This episode of the podcast is brought to you by asset protection attorney, Wayne Patton. We all spend a lot of time thinking about ways to make more money, but how much time have you spent thinking about legal strategies to protect your wealth? Whether you're a professional, an investor, or an entrepreneur, you are at risk of being targeted in a lawsuit. Wayne is an attorney who specializes only in asset protection strategies, like the use of offshore trusts. If you'd like to learn more about how you can protect your assets, visit mwpatton.com or assetprotection.law. Mention this podcast and Wayne will waive his customary $750 initial consultation fee. Again, the website is mwpatton.com or assetprotection.law. Or you can call Wayne at 877-727-1092. Call now and get protected today. All right, Travis, what is the one tool you use in real estate investing that you could not do without?
3: Oh my gosh. I just wrote a blog, I think it was a week or two ago on digitally investing, you know, in the modern age. And it's so funny to think about how crazy it is as an LP. I literally do everything from my computer, or I should say I could right? From signing docs, to wiring funds, to looking at properties, to, you know, connecting with sponsors. So it'd have to be my computer in general. (laughs) I don't know what I'd do without it.
1: Can you tell us a story about your biggest mistake in real estate investing? And what is the main takeaway for our listeners?
3: Yeah, yeah. I'm going to use an example from my active days of doing real estate. So every two years, what I did consistently from 2009 through about 2017, Every two years, I'd buy a property distressed, I'd live in it as an owner-occupant, I'd fix it up and I'd sell it two years later for tax-free gains. That's part of the tax code. Well, That worked extremely well as a little side hobby and a little side business up until my emotions took over once with my wife and we ended up buying a property because we just loved it. It was like Mm. our favorite color and all the top-notch, high-end, this and that and the other and came real close to losing money on that deal. (laughs) Didn't make it. I mean, we came like within probably $100 of a break even. So yeah, don't buy on emotions. (laughs)
1: What is it that you need to do now to grow your life to the next level?
3: Oh, you know, mentors have made a huge difference in my life. And what I mean by that, I mean, mentors come in all forms, books, podcasts, you know, and actual face-to-face mentors. I've had several that have really cut the learning curve for me. But right now, I'm kind of at a little bit of a plateau, and I'm seeking out a mentor to get to the next level. So I fall back to that. I need to find somebody who's, you know, five years further down the line than I am and kind of get to leverage their expertise a little bit more.
1: Great. And lastly, Travis, where can people find out more about you?
3: Sure. AshcroftCapital.com. Email is usually the best. Travis at AshcroftCapital.com. Also, I'm on bigger pockets, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook. So I connect with investors of all sorts and all different genres week to week on 15-minute calls just to network, just to see where people are at and pick people's brains. I learn as much as I can give back. So you can reach me for a 15-minute call, AshcroftCapital.com forward slash connect with Travis.
1: Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing your real estate journey and accomplishments with us today. We appreciate you being on our show.
3: You bet. Thank you guys so much.
0: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please go to iTunes and leave a rating and written review to help us grow and reach more listeners. You can also go to the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate group on Facebook so you can connect with Kyle and Lolita and ask your questions that you want them to answer on the show. Subscribe too so that you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, to stay updated, head on over to limitless-estates.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with Kyle and Lolita, sign up on the Contact Us page so you can talk to them directly. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in again next week for another episode.